If you're here for the first time, I see a new, a few newbies, you're, you're very, very welcome. You might be on your travels, visiting people, but it's, it's, it's good to see you. And as a church, we've been working our way through a series whereby we've looked at what the early church were devoted to and what we should be devoted to. And so far, we've looked at being devoted to the teaching of the apostles, of fellowship, communion. And today we're looking at what it is to be devoted to prayer. Big one. And we're using the same passage for, for, for all of this series, which is Acts 2, 42 to 47. And so if we can get that straight up, um, then we can see what we're going to be reading today. And we're just going to be going from Acts 2, 42, which is this. Let me just remind you that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and to prayer. And when Andrew uh, sent this series out and asked what we wanted to cover, I immediately WhatsApp back, because that's how we do things these days, and said, I'd like to preach on prayer, please. And that's because, to be quite honest with you, I have struggled with prayer. I have, particularly in the past, felt like a bit of a failure. And so I do want to share with you some of the things that, that I've, that's enriched my prayer life over, over the years, particularly the last two or three years. And it's worth noting that prayer is a huge topic, isn't it? We've only got 25, maybe, maybe 30 minutes, maybe 32, if I don't get some dodgy looks from Andrew. And so that's where we're going. Today, you know, as we ask the question, what does a life, what does a church devoted to prayer look like? I want to bring some Fs to us. And they are fellowship, frequency, frankness, fences, and fruit. I know the letter F actually has always meant more than just a mere letter to me. As a boy, I used to play the piano, and I would always get excited when I saw the letter F on the music sheet, because as, as a boy, I wanted to play the piano really loudly. It gave me permission to bang the keys, and that's what F means. It means fortissimo, very loudly. And I felt prompted as I prepared this that actually some of us need to hear this fortissimo today. We need to hear some of this stuff very loudly. But there's another F. There's another F that comes to mind when I think of that, which is the one in red ink. F for fail. I remember being in year eight at school and getting four out of 100 in a math test. I know. And, and these were the days where you had to read out your score to the rest of the class in front of everyone. So you can imagine the humiliation and embarrassment I felt. But I want you to hear this loudly. I want you to hear this loudly this morning. That you are deeply loved. That his grace is all sufficient. But God wants you to know him better. He wants your prayer life to be rich. He is not the kind of teacher who, who asks for your score to be read out. He's the kind of teacher who sits down next to you and quietly says, come to me. Come to me. We can make some changes whereby you know my heart for you. And there are a couple of questions I want to ask from the very start to you, which is number one. In what areas of your prayer life do you need to forgive yourself? Secondly, what is God wanting you to hear loudly today. 
So what do we make of prayer? Maybe you're here for the first time. You're wondering what this is all about. Maybe your prayer life is just really quite dry at the moment. But you know, there is something profound and timeless, isn't there, about the need to speak, the need to communicate, the need to be listened to. One recent study found that nearly 30% of atheists, so people who don't have any faith in God at all, admitted they prayed sometimes. Another found that 17% of non-believers pray regularly. So there seems to be this human instinct. There seems to be human instinct to pray, that we are wired for a relationship with something greater than ourselves. You know, the fact that prayer is mentioned so much in the Bible, that Jesus, who is, who is God in human form, had plenty to say about this. He modeled it. He prioritized it. It means that we, although it may be difficult, we need to go deep into this too, just as the early church did. Let's be reminded that that early church, even before the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, what are they doing? They all joined constantly in prayer. They all joined constantly in prayer. And prayer has always been and should always be a priority. So how can we do this? What's been shown to us? How do we go from duty to delight in praying to a relational God, as Ellie has mentioned, who desperately desires to meet with us? Well, let's start with our first F, which is fellowship. Prayer leads to deep fellowship. Prayer brings fellowship with God and fellowship with fellow believers. And amazingly, it also brings fellowship with people who don't yet believe. That's my belief anyway. And let's remind, I want to remind you from the very start, because this is important that we get this, these foundations right, that we can be bold in holding to the truth that we have access to the very presence of God. That's an important starting point, isn't it? Therefore, as it says in Hebrews, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's Hebrews 10, 19. That is, we enter into the holy place, the, the holy of holies, the very presence of God himself. And when we enter... By the new and living way, that's Hebrews 10.20, by the new and living way that Christ opened for us. Let's hold on to that this morning, that we can come into his presence. Let me remind you that we have fellowship with a relational God who wants us to draw closer, wants us to draw closer to him. I mean, think about the people that you know well. Think about them for a second, where there's deep relationship. I suppose for me, my three children come to mind. And you know what, as a parent, we can often know what they want without them expressing it. They don't need to tell us. We often know what they need without them telling us, what they are struggling with, what they are delighting in. Most people, you know, including my kids, struggle to hide their thoughts even though they're not actually expressing them. But you know what, as a parent, as a parent, I am desperate for my children to come and sit with me and tell me. I'm desperate for them to come and share their heart with me. And that is God's heart for you and me. That is God's heart for you and me. You know, our eldest child is nine. She's starting to ask us some, some interesting questions. Uh, she's being exposed to stuff that ideally I think we'd probably want to protect her from for a little bit longer. But in response, what are we saying to her? We are saying to her, you come and talk to us about anything. Because if we listen to ourselves or she hears it in the playground or what the world would say, we are often in for trouble. 
So we come to the word and the voice of, of our heavenly Father in prayer, into fellowship with him. We are to come like a child to a parent. Into that, and, and in that relationship, there's scope for, for laughter, for seriousness, for questioning, for honesty, for openness, for intimacy. You know, there's deep fellowship available to us. I love the words of Philippians 1, 3 to 6, where it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love the fellowship that you see in that. And prayer leads us into deep fellowship with each other. And so like groups, community groups, a simple challenge to you this morning. Are you praying for each other? Are you praying with each other? Is it the last five minutes of the life group? Well, we better pray, aren't we? Are you prioritizing prayer? Because it's important. And we see both devoted private and group prayer in the Bible that leads to fellowship with God, don't we? Private and group prayer. We see Jesus going to pray alone. No doubt mindful of distractions. Things don't change, do they? We're always going to have things that distract us. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And I would encourage you, if you're starting off in your prayer life today, or if you're wanting to get going again, it's a good place to start. Read some of the word. Read the wonderful word of God and then just pray into it. But praying as a group is important as well. In Matthew 18, 20, you'll probably know these words. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Uh, in my other job, because I work for the church two days a week, I also work for an educational charity and I, I, I set up schools in partnership with churches. And so I've got to pray with all sorts of different people, different denominations. It's been fascinating. And two weeks ago, I was at a Pentecostal church in Birmingham, an NTCG, uh, NTCG church, New Testament Church of God. And we had this quite intense two-hour meeting, effectively a business meeting. And at the end of it, we all prayed, and there were five guys. And we all, we're, we're around this round table, and that's what they do. They hold hands. And it was an amazing experience. So we were all holding hands, and then we were led in prayer by their church leader, and literally within 10 seconds, my eyelids were going crazy, and we were, oh, it, it felt like the room was rocking. But it was amazing. It's this idea of coming to prayer as a group, and there's vulnerability there, isn't there? Guys holding hands? Vulnerable, but, the, but there, was, there was fellowship. I didn't know these men very well, but there was fellowship there straight away. And you know, I've been blessed, we've been blessed by praying with our community group. We have had specific prayers answered. We have had encouragements and this grows faith. This grows fellowship between believers and God. And it grows faith in those who are being prayed for because we can say, we're praying this for you. And then when it happens, when God answers prayer, we can say, wow, all glory to God. Frequency. How often? That's what frequency means, isn't it? How often do we do something? In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it simply says, pray without ceasing. I'm reminded that Jesus prayed all night before choosing his disciples, before making a, a big decision. Anyone prayed all night recently? 
I certainly haven't. But Jesus retreated. I think Luke records uh, seven times that Jesus retreated to pray on his own. And praying regularly, despite our schedules, is clearly important. Acts 6.4 says this, but, that's important, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But we will. In other words, they freed themselves from other responsibilities in order to give more time to pray. Even though life was busy, they prioritized it. And you know, there's something really important about drawing together and praying on a regular basis, I think. We could, add, we, we could add another F, couldn't we? We could add, perhaps, the, the letter F for fervent. You come across that word, fervent, in, when we do things with, with, with intensity. Interestingly, fervent has got its origins in, in heat, in burning. And I love the story of these five young college students who were spending a Sunday in London, and they went to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. You may have heard of him. He was a I suppose a famous, although we don't like to use that word, they were a famous preacher of his time. And while waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who, who came out and said, oh, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to come and see the heating plant of this church? A bit odd. I mean, as you'd expect, they weren't particularly interested. It was a boiling hot day in July. They didn't really want to go to a heating plant. But they didn't want to offend him. And so they said yes. And they were taken down a stairway, and a door was quietly opened, and their guide whispered, this is our heating plant. And surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the room above. And of course, the gentleman that introduced himself, and it was Charles Spurgeon himself. You know, there's something about frequent prayer that means momentum and heat is built up. Engine rooms, engine rooms need fuel. We are in a spiritual battle. And we have an enemy who wants to clog the engine. He wants to veer us off track. Who seeks to exploit our disappointments. Who frankly wants us cold and unresponsive. Those of us who have been doing the Alpha course have felt the power of the engine room these last four weeks. We really have. And so my question is, what or where is your heating, your engine room? How often is it fired up? A bigger question, is God calling us? Is God calling us as a church? Is he calling you to start one? Do you know, my experience, the more I pray, the more frequently I pray, the more my compassion grows, the more God grows compassion in me. And the Bible shows us that Jesus was moved with Compassion. And if we have God-given compassion and, and, and concern for others, our faith will grow and strengthen as we pray. In fact, if we genuinely love people, I don't know about you, but we desire far more for them than it is within our power to give. I'm just going to repeat that. We desire far more for them than it is within our power to give. And that, in turn, causes us to pray. How often are we praying? What's the frequency? Next F is frankness. Honesty, openness, directness. I'm sure we all, we all know frank people. My question is, what are the cries? What are the cries of our innermost being like? 
Do they come from our lips and our head, or do they come from our heart? Do you know the Psalms are great for teaching us how to pray, aren't they? They are good for teaching us how to pray. And if you struggle with prayer, especially in regards to your honesty and intimacy, then I would really recommend that you start with the Psalms, or certainly dip into them. I suspect that the early church devoted um, a lot of time to reciting from the Psalms together. And the reason I say that is they'd been following what had been shown to them by Jesus. And Jesus quoted from the Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. Again, pointing the way to us to be exploring things for ourselves. I mean, listen to the honesty of this. Listen to the honesty and the intimacy of Psalm 13. Just as one example. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. I mean, do we pray like this? With that honesty, with that rawness? Notice it lands, though, in God's love and salvation and protection, doesn't it? And that's important, too. So there's this challenge, which I think was instigated by David and others who wrote the Psalms, to be completely honest with God in all circumstances. At our most joyful, at our lowest ebb, and I've got to be honest, I'm with Emily this morning, I feel weary, I feel so tired. And God has sustained me this week, he's had to. God doesn't say we need to come to him perfect, does he? He's the teacher who sees the red F, he's the teacher who sees the red F and he's not put off. In fact, the character of God is that it draws him closer to us, it draws him closer. Jesus died and rose again because we're not perfect so that we could have connection, deep relationship with God. God loves us at our very messiest. And if you have a close relationship with someone, you will have experienced a whole range of emotions with them. Ask Mez, my wife, most of you know her, and we're in the course of a week of relationship and communication with me, she'll have experienced joy. I thought I'd start positive. <laughs> Comfort. Frustration, confusion, annoyance, most likely. Amazement, maybe. Do you know, and this is the same when we read scripture and we pray, isn't it? We can feel all of those things. Remember, though, we are communicating with a real and complex God. And as an important aside, it's helpful when our prayers are connected to and grounded in scripture. These two things, prayer, scripture, anchors our life down to God, and that's, there's a little bit of a challenge in there, isn't there? There's a challenge to know our Bible, to know God's word for us, to know God's word for his people. And you know, in the last few years, as I've started to pray, more like the prayers we see in the Psalms, I have gained so much in self-knowledge and self-awareness, and that's because God has revealed it to me. 
There's a refining process through prayer, which is so important. Conviction of sin, to be disciplined and discipled. Sonship, that's a big one for me, knowing my father's heart for me. This has come through prayer. My sonship. Just think of those people. There'll be people that come to mind when I ask you about this. Those people who have matured, who, who have a living relationship with God. Just think of those people. And my confident assertion would be that earnest prayer is crucial to their life. Let's be frank. Let's be honest. Next F, fences. You know, fences are important for gardens. And they are important for prayer too. It's important that certain parameters are good and right. It's important that we just don't go crazy with our prayers. Um, I remember praying with a friend who was exploring faith. And he started his prayer by saying, Oh, great architect in the sky. At which point we had a, an interesting chat about who we're praying to, but it was fine. He was just starting out. And it led to a really useful conversation about elements of doctrine and, and, and who God is. The fact is, though, that most of us have fences that are unhealthy, that are perhaps restricting, that have just perhaps been gently put up around us. We may have even built them ourselves. I've certainly done that. We may have allowed them to get higher and higher, they may be shrinking the garden of our prayer life. I don't know. Search your hearts. We'll have time later for that. But you know, the problem with that is, if our fences are really high, it can lead to a lack of light and obviously a lack of growth. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, one of my favorite books, he said this, prayer will make a man cease from sin or will entice a man to cease from prayer. And the human heart has the potential to put up all sorts of fences. We know this, don't we? And so the question is, what are your, what are your fences? What's just grown up? For me, there's a realization about 15 years ago that a big fence for me was the wooden spoon. When I was growing up, we were disciplined with the wooden spoon. I think it's a generational thing. Certainly people older than me, yeah, I got the slipper, I got the wooden spoon. I got the wooden spoon. And my dad kept this in the bathroom. It went missing every now and then. Much to my father's uh, annoyance. Um, fortunately, I'm not proud of it. I've had to repent of this. Uh, you know, I, I have the record for the most spooned bottom in our family. And I, I won a five, and I've got four brothers, all of which were a little bit uh, truculent at times and naughty. But you know, that's a fence for me, or was a fence for me, because my dad would take us up to the bathroom, he would spoon us, it hurt. He would then draw us close and pray. And that was nice. But you know what? There was an association. There was an association between punishment and prayer. That was a fence for me. And please don't worry about the relationship my, my, myself and my dad. We talked it through. We talked it through, it's okay. But that's a fence. Unanswered prayer, that's been a fence for me. And I suspect it's perhaps been a fence for, for you as well. I'm not going to talk about that much because we did God on mute, which I think was a really good resource as a community group. But if 
If that is something that you want to talk about, then let's do that. We'll make sure you get that, that book, that resource, and those videos, because I think it was really useful for us to do as a church, as community groups. But you know, as I, as I prepared this, um, as I prepared this, folks, I really got the sense that some of us have plateaued here, and that some of us are actually just gently rolling back down a hill. And I don't think we should be satisfied with the size of the current garden and where the fences currently are. And I say that as a loving challenge. And Colossians 4, 12 to 13 touches on something I think that's related to this, which I think is important. And it says this, it says, Epaphras, who was one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends, his, he sends greetings. So what's this guy doing? Paul says this, Paul says this man, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. And you can see I've put a few things in bold there for us because that's what I want to draw us to. We get the words wrestling and we get the words work. Can we all see that? In other words, this is toil. This is toil. The, this form of wrestling is work. It takes work. It's the kind of work that involves wrestling, which sounds like, in other words, there are hardships and obstacles in the way. There are hardships and obstacles in their prayers. They had to be wrestled out the way. Can you imagine a big boulder in the middle of the road that needs to be wrestled out the way with a shoulder? That's what this is. But we need to push it out of the way so we can get on with the work of teaching and working and praying for ourselves and for people. But we need to be aware of this. It's not just easy. It's toil. My question is, have you stopped wrestling for some of those people who are on your prayer list? If you don't have a prayer list, there's another challenge in itself. Who are you praying for? Again, I always say this. I'm talking to myself here. I'm talking to myself. I've, I've been deeply challenged as I prepared this talk. I've struggled with this talk. But it takes wrestling, it takes toil, it takes battle. Prayer can be easy, but let's be honest, it's often hard. And I've been reminded of, of war films that I've seen. I used to see loads of them when I was a kid. And what you would see is soldiers desperately calling for help. And they do this usually on a walkie-talkie, don't they? You see soldiers on walkie-talkies asking for help amidst a barrage of missiles, of gunfire, of being under attack. And that's what prayer can be like. But it doesn't mean that we dig a hole and hope things just stop and go away. God wants the walkie-talkie. He doesn't want radio silence. Again, we need to be honest. Satan hates radio... Sorry, Satan loves radio silence. Satan loves radio silence. And so my question is, what, what are your battles at the moment? Do you need to pick up the walkie-talkie? And my last F is fruit. You know, prayer grows fruit. William Carey, I think he was mentioned, maybe at the, the Catalyst Leadership Conference, actually, that we, that we went to uh, a couple of weeks ago, known for his missionary work, in India in the 18th and 19th century, William Carey, he said this, he said, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer 
lies at the root of all personal godliness. Personal godliness is fruit that I'm seeking, that we should all seek. But we get these are lovely and amazing further truths from Colossians 1, 9 to 12 that I just want to, to show you as well. And again, I, I've, I've underlined all the fruits that I think we see in this. There's loads of them. It says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's an awful lot of fruit. It's great, isn't it? Let me encourage you to go and read that again in your own time. But there's fruit through us, through partnership with God, and there's fruit in us. So when we pray, we, we come into deeper partnership and relationship with God. And progressively, progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. We see our wills aligning. Have you had that in your life? Have you experienced that? Our wills are aligned. Our steps become closer to his. Our hearts beat in time with his. We desire what he desires. We seek what he seeks. We become more like the living sacrifices that Jesus was. We desire the things of the world less, and we desire him more. That's fruit. That's fruit. You know, I've lived long enough to see why some of my prayer requests have yielded a no response. Five years ago, my prayer was, Lord, make a path for me to become a head teacher so I can influence for the kingdom. Was my heart always right in those prayers? No, I don't think it probably was. Did God lead me down another path? Yes. Can I say thank you to God for this without it coming out of gritted teeth? Yes, just about. Can I see the fruit of his redirecting? Absolutely. Thank you, Lord. But the process, that process started in prayer. It started actually with a heart's desire. It started with this. It started with, use my legs, Lord. Let them run free to bring your sheep back unto thee. Use me, Lord. Use all of me. Help me to find those who can't see. Some of you are probably going to come away from today and think, I should really pray more. And to be honest, you should. (laughs) We all should. I should. Because of what it does. The fruit. As I said, I, I felt challenged to my core in preparing this. And my prayer for us and for myself is that duty, and we've got to remember that duty is good. Duty is about obedience, isn't it? That's not a bad thing, but that duty would transform into delight. That we would do that which we love, that grows us, that disciples us, that bears fruit. And so a few practicals for us. Just a few thoughts I wanted to throw out there. Start with manageable expectations, but remember that prayer does need discipline. 
at the, uh, the Catalyst Leadership Conference, one of the talkers there was saying through lockdown, he and his wife got up at 4 a.m. and prayed for two hours every morning. And I think we all looked at each other and thought, yeah, not yet. <laughs> Something to work towards, though. What about life group and community group? Are you taking those opportunities to pray? You're in a safe space in those groups, so pray. What about Tuesday at 7 a.m.? What about fuel? Are you going to come tonight? Let me ask the question, how, how, how do we normalize it? Is our first response to pray? Are we going to give a voice message rather than the usual hands-together emoji or praying on that WhatsApp message? It doesn't take too much longer just to do that. This is my prayer for you. Maybe that's going to be helpful for some of you. When we say, I'll pray for you, do we pray there and then? Or is there a kind of a, like an unsaid understanding that I'll, I'll pray for you tonight? Do we pray for them there and then, even though it might be a little bit embarrassing because it's in the middle of the street? You know, the more we do it, the more we normalize it, the less weird it becomes. I love the words of Philippians 4, 6 to 7. And it's, uh, there's a lovely association for me with my grandma who had this in the world's biggest font in her kitchen because she was basically blind for the last 10 years of her life. But you'll know this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What else? When does it suit you best to pray? Because I think that's... A, that's actually a good thing to acknowledge. For me at the moment, it's evenings because mornings are really busy with getting kids to school. I set aside some time in the evening though. It's a rhythm, it's a discipline. For some of you, mornings might be best. Be open and honest. Again, are there fences that are being built up that need to be removed? And my last one is, again, if you're starting... Uh, Afresh with this, Ecclesiastes 5 2 has got some really good advice, which says, Let your words be few. We don't need long, eloquent prayers. This is in contrast to the world, isn't it? We are we're bombarded with communication, we are bombarded with social media, and actually, communication, I think, has, become, has, has been cheapened as a result. So maybe for some of us, just let your words be few, but maybe the frequency of those words needs to, to be upped. And you know, speaking of words, Jesus gave us some words, didn't he? Do you remember those? His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gave them this beautiful poem. He gave them a gift, a very gift from the heart that we, of course, know as the Lord's Prayer. I grew up saying that prayer. Anyone else? Quick hands up. Yeah. Anyone said it in the last week? Great. My question is, does it, does it have vitality for us? Does it have vitality for us, that prayer? Is it overly familiar? Has it become a dead ritual? Jesus gave it to his disciples. That's really important, isn't it? Jesus gave it as a gift. That's so important. And this is how, in part, he communicated with his father. So it's something that we've got to take seriously. And so actually we're going to say this together now. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. 
as part of our response, there's going to be some layers of response this morning, folks, but this is just going to be our first response because I think as a church it's important to do these things together, isn't it? To say these things, to hear other people saying these great words of truth, these words that Jesus gave as a gift to his disciples. So can we say them together? (coughs) Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to call this back to prayer as part of our response time. I'm going to read that prayer again, but actually quite an extended version of it. And this is the opportunity for you just to listen and to receive in silence. I want to encourage you to embrace the adventure of prayer because God yearns for you to know his heart better. As I pray, there's going to be just some quiet, instrumental, hymnal music. My hope is, my prayer is it's it's a help, not a hindrance. And after that, we're going to have some silence. We're going to have some silence. And this is an opportunity for you to pray into this word. I want to repeat some of those questions. What are your fences? Ask him to show you his heart, the Father's heart. Do you know, he longs to know you better. What do you need to wrestle with? Perhaps you simply need to ask, as the disciples did, Lord, teach me how to pray. Let's close our eyes. Our Father in heaven, everlasting and perfect Father of the fatherless, we thank you that Jesus reveals your heart. Plant in our hearts a comforting trust in your fatherly love. Heaven is your throne and the earth is yours. You are wholly set apart. All creation, all of your gifts declares your glory and the universe proclaims the work of your hands. And so hallowed be your name. From the rising of the sun to its setting, May your name be praised and be great among this land and the nations. Let it be known that you are holy and completely set apart. You are a good and holy God, and we as your followers bear that name. Help us not to dishonor it. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let this be known in Farsley, Stanningley, Pudsey, Bramley, Bradford, in the streets where we live. Our Father, you are awesome in the truest sense of that word. Let heaven and earth praise you, the seas and everything that moves in them. And so your kingdom come. 
May all the ends of the earth remember and turn to you through your word and spirit. And all the families of the nations worship before you. For kingship belongs to you in the world and in our hearts. So shape us, we pray. You rule over the nations. You are the strength of your people, the saving refuge of your anointed. Father, remember your promises and bless your heritage. Be our shepherd and carry us forever. You are our king. Your throne is on high. We gladly bow the knee to you. And so your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make us know your ways, O Lord. Let our prayers be like a reflex action to your heart. Make us sensitive to your spirit. Thank you that your spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words when our words fail us. And teach us your paths. Teach us your right ways. Teach us to do your will and submit to it as Jesus did, even though it may lead to discomfort and adversity. Let your good spirit lead us to firm, level ground. And not our will, but yours be done. Help us to play our part in heaven reclaiming earth. Remind us daily that we have a foot in both heaven and in earth and that Jesus was and is the bridge between the two. And give us this day our daily bread. You, our God, will supply us and be our storehouse. We lift up those in society who are struggling as a result of rising food prices and inflation, those who are at the mercy of war. We ask that you give us neither poverty so that we don't resent you nor riches that we might forget you. Feed us with the food that we need and press on our hearts the words of Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Father, we confess as Paul did that I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. We confess our wrongdoing. We are sorry for our sin and thank you that our salvation is found in your grace. Have mercy on us, O God. We thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. Wash us thoroughly, make us new, as white as snow, and cleanse us from our sin. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We do not ask, Lord, that you take us out of the world, but that you keep us from the evil one. We pray against being trans, uh, sorry, conformed to the pattern of this world. And so restore us. Let your face shine that we may be saved. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins. For your name's sake, you are our steadfast love and our fortress, our stronghold, our very deliverer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.